Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jen White, and I'm here with Ellen Trackman, who Hi. is my sister and an attorney and who also happens to own a surrogacy agency with me, you know, she's a little busy. She's and share some genetics with you. And I yes. said you're my sister, you mm-hmm. know, right. we share genetics, yes. but um, that means we've also uh, known each other for a long time and had the advantage of seeing some of, uh, see, seeing a lot of experiences in mm-hmm. each other's lives, right? Right. <laughs> um, so what about, uh, let's talk healthcare today. Uh, have you had any Positive or traumatic healthcare experiences in your mm. life? Well, I especially did, overseas. <laughs> I did um, kind of break my leg when I was studying abroad in Russia. Kind so that, of that, that kind of <laughs> happened, and that was surprising. Uh, and then um, my doctor disappeared, and I'm I theorize that he was like taken out by the mafia, but who knows? Who knows what happened to that doctor? Um, but I've generally had good experiences here. And I know I had a really positive one when my fourth child came at 33 weeks and she was in the NICU for three weeks at Children's in Colorado. And they were fantastic. I basically lived with her and I had a great room, window, place for me to sleep. I mean, I love the cafeteria. There was a coffee shop downstairs. I actually missed the coffee shop in the cafeteria when we got discharged. Wow. <laughs> Can we go back to the Dazbog? Okay. Right. Um, You're like, Can I just go live at that coffee shop yeah. for a while? Uh, how about you? Oh, there's so many to pinpoint. I'm sure we've probably talked about some of these before that, you know, we've lived overseas a couple of times. So I've had experience with, unfortunately, I've had a lot of experience with uh, the German healthcare system for my daughter because she was in the PICU for almost a month. And I actually was hospitalized and had surgery when we lived in England. So I've experienced the National Health Service and I mean, just some various things throughout my life in the United States, but it definitely... uh, definitely different worlds between them in like how staff treats you and cost and all kinds of things. There's, I probably could like devote an entire podcast just talking about healthcare system issues, just me talking about it. Oh, so not just an episode. <laughs> I mean, like every yeah, right. country has their own system and so many different parts, but right. it's fun to get to see a little bit of a difference of cultures as well as to hear a personal story and about this great foundation on this interview. Welcome, Ilana Frank, to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And I will just admit that we've been trying for a long time to schedule this, and mostly it's been my fault with COVID, but I'm so glad to finally make it happen. Ditto. (laughs) So to to start, do you want to give a little background about where you are and um, kind of what you did before all of this started? Sure. So my name's Ilana. I was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, and had been away for 18 years before got married. And I thought, you know, you get married, you have lots of babies, and it didn't go exactly as planned for me. Um, I suppose in, in my community, I found my husband a little bit later in life when I was 28, which doesn't seem so late. But um, when we got married, we decided that we were going to make Aliyah and move to Israel and start our lives there. And I really thank God that we did because 
we had been married a little over a year and were really, really trying to have a kid and it just was not working for us. Um, and I'm kind of happy to share the journey that we started of our, of our infertility journey that started yeah. in Israel with you guys, if you'd like. Yeah, definitely. So basically I, I'm like a little bit of an overachiever. So when I, um, want something, I expect it to happen and I'm happy putting in the work. But in this case, I only after really like three months of really, really trying to have a baby, we had been married over a year, I went to the doctor because I was like, something is not working. And yeah, it sounds crazy after three months, but I knew something was just not right. And, um, and it's not like we were using birth control prior. We just weren't really like trying so hard. So I went to the doctor and in Israel, it's really interesting. My doctor there, who was a gynecologist, she asked me how long I had been married versus my experiences in America, where they ask you, how long um, have you been trying to conceive? And so I had been married over a year at that point, and I shared that. And she's like, okay, well, we can start you on Clomid right away. And I for sure thought, like many of us in this space, I was going to get pregnant right away. I remember flying to New York for a wedding. Like, for sure, I was pregnant. I wasn't drinking. Like, I, I was like, didn't want to tell my friends, but I knew I was going to be pregnant. And of course, several months, you know, into my um, Clomid experience, I was not getting pregnant. And I was not sharing that I had like started trying to have a baby with any of my friends. First of all, I was living in the middle of like Northern Israel, secluded in the mountains. I surely wasn't telling anybody what was going on there. And I really- There's nothing like, nothing like feeling alone and then also feeling more alone, right? (laughs) I mean, I was literally, it was beautiful. My life there is so different than my life in America today. But yeah, I was really, really secluded. And like, I didn't even know about the word infertility, honestly. I, I had no reason to know. And like, it's not like your friends are talking about that. Um. But, you know, the way it goes is like, okay, so I'm not getting pregnant. What's the next step? So I confided in my aunt, who's Israeli and who works in the medical care system. And, you know, this is already like maybe six months of Clomid and things not going well. And then, you know, things are getting harder with my husband and I because all he wants is to make me happy, but he doesn't know what to do because we're not talking about it. And we didn't even like, internet was very, very different 11, 12 years ago than it is today when it comes to like, support and infertility and all that. Um, And meanwhile, I was working at a religious youth village, like an immigrant youth village as a fundraiser. And all the women were like coming up to me and they're like, what's going on? You've been married a year and a half. Like, why aren't you having kids? And touching my stomach because I was getting, I was gaining weight from Clomid. And I mean, it was just like, it's already, you know, Israelis in general, the reputation is already, you know, in your face and all of that. So like, I did not know how to react. I'm not going to be like, well, actually, let me tell you. Um, it was just hard. And then my family, what, what did you say? Like, no, um, I'm good. Just I, eating carbs. <laughs> I always say like, no, I'm not pregnant because people throughout the past 11 years have always asked me, am I pregnant? Because whenever I started a new treatment or hormones, like it always makes me look like I'm like six months pregnant. Mm. And I have to be like, no, I'm just fat. And like, I'm blunt. Oh, so unfair. Right. It's just awkward. So I'm like, no, I just gained weight. I don't, I never really knew. And I just, you know, changed the subject or 
now, now in the journey, it's a little different. Like I'm happy to be like, no, actually I suffered. I suffer from infertility. So I could go through why. Wow. But back then I was literally just like inside myself and did not know how to react. Um, and then, so I confided in my aunt in Israel and like, again, they're blunt, they're open. And I remember at like a meal with my cousins who all had like a million kids already who were my age. Um, they're like, she's like, well, maybe you don't know how to have sex. Okay. Uh-huh. Maybe. Okay. But that's not a joke. Jen has She had the same thing happen. Oh, but God. it was a doctor <clears throat> that was like, are you sure you're doing it right? Oh, Lord. And I'm like, um, you're a doctor. <laughs> oh, my God. I, it's so hard. And like, how do you answer that? Right. And, then, I, I, and I had to remind her, like, please don't tell my parents. I'm, I, I'm not talking about it with anybody. And then she's like, I think you guys need to go on a vacation. Like that was the first time I hear it all the time, uh, the but classic, like legit, she yeah. said that you just need to relax. You need to go on a vacation. All the typical things that like we read about nowadays were said to me. And I'm like, no, I, I, let's just go to a doctor. And so she recommended a doctor to me. And remember, she's in the healthcare field. I'm not talking about it with anybody else. Yeah. And I trust her. And we were new immigrants to Israel and to socialized medicine in general, but we're also still Americans. And so we're like, okay, well, we'll pay meaning you can pay for private um, doctors, like private hours for doctors. So we were going, because he wasn't in my insurance coverage, but he was a big university doctor. So we were going to his house at night in his basement. He had practice. It's, it's, yes, it's weird, but it's not unheard of. And we're like new immigrants. So we're trusting her. She's like, no, no, no. He's a great doctor. Like he's the head of the university. Like just trust him. And you're American. You can write checks. And keep in mind, the checks we were writing were not as significant as like American checks. And he, we went to his house an hour away from our house. And this is like 830 at night. Um, but we didn't have kids. So like, okay, fine. Made it a yeah. date night, even though it was not <laughs> sexy or fun. And Basically, we went there and he honestly never really checked me. He never did tests on me, never blood tests, nothing, 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 nothing. And he started IUIs for months and we were writing him checks. Oh. And my husband was doing his business in the bathroom at his house. Oh, wow. I remember they were collecting his sperm and he was looking at it. I mean, the whole thing seems so bizarre now because I know so much, but yeah. he was looking at his sperm in a microscope at his desk, at his house, in his home office. And he's like, yeah, your husband's sperm is bad. Okay. Oh. Fast forward, it's actually not. But what did we know at the time? And they were doing IUIs with medication months after months after months. And then finally there came a point, I don't even know, maybe four or five, six times at all. It's all a blur now that we're like, something's weird about this. And it was, and thank God we felt that it was weird. I mean, it took us many months, but ultimately we um, found another doctor on our own and went through the typical process where we had to wait a little bit to get an appointment. And ultimately he diagnosed me the first time. Um, and my tubes are blocked. Meanwhile, I had wasted a year and a half. I was not going to get pregnant through IUI. I mean, I could, and I could have gotten really hurt, you know, if I had an ectopic pregnancy. Anyway, the whole thing was so hard. It was so hard on my marriage. Again, people still like commenting. I think at this point, my mom kind of knew what was going on when she came to visit us and we um, we had just started shots and like 
it <laughs> was just how do you hard to hide those? Yeah. yeah. You can't hide it. We were also all the way in the south of uh, Israel, and I I was going to meet the new doctor the very first time, and like we had missed our plane. I mean, the whole thing was like stressful oh, and a yeah. disaster. And like I had been waiting for this appointment for months and months, and. That was, I think I finally just confided in her and was like, this is the situation. She didn't know what to say. She is the most supportive person, but she just didn't know how to handle it. Anyway, long story short, um, we got to the point of him saying, yeah, you need IVF. And we're like, oh my God, we wasted a year and a half because we didn't have anybody to talk to, any right information, anywhere to turn to. <clears throat> Ultimately, I he plugged it in his computer and he's like, oh, you're eligible great. Let's start. I think it was like next month. Okay. And, oh, and what does that, what does that mean? You're eligible. So keep in mind, socialized medicine in Israel and Israel's desire to, um, have children. And they're so focused on family building really provides citizens with the opportunity to have free fertility treatments. But so you I mean, was paying you my citizens? insurance. What? But you, were you citizens? Oh, yeah. So we became citizens. Oh, great. Okay. Sorry, I, that we missed that part. We no became worries. citizens. We had jobs, so we were paying our taxes. And yeah, we had free fertility treatments. Wow. Um, I remember I wanted Dr. Nitsri, my, my, my doctor, to perform my treatment. And so I had to go to a private hospital where he was at and pay. But keep in mind, for, my, in, for two kids, they cost me... I think it was a thousand shekels. So what is that? Like 200 ish dollars for two kids. So, so because I wanted him, otherwise I would have had to just like go to a general hospital with a gen, like anybody could have done it. Um, and basically, yeah, I got, I retrieved egg. Uh, I don't even remember how many eggs, maybe like 17 eggs. And we had like 12 embryos. And from that, I had two kids. Both of my children, an eight-year-old now and a seven-year-old, were mm-hmm. twins. And we lost we lost one at about eight weeks and one at 10 weeks. Oh, wow. um, the truth is, at the time, it wasn't so sad for me. Um, I was just more happy that I was ending up with one. Now I think back and I wonder, but yeah. it is what it is. And I had still extra embryos in the freezer when we moved back to America. So I had two kids under the age of two. My husband decided that he wanted to accept a position in America. And I had two kids under the age of two. So when one of them was six weeks old, we picked up and moved. And um, I knew my family wasn't done, which was also just hard because, again, people would make comments of you should just feel, and at this point I started becoming a little bit more open about what I went through because for me with kids, it was easier um, to talk about it. But people were like, well, you should just be happy you have these two kids. Like, why are you going to go through so much to have a third? And yeah, of course I'm happy and grateful I have these two kids. I just feel like I have more to offer a family in the world and I can't get rid of this feeling. And I couldn't get rid of it for five years. And I mean, it caused a lot of stress between my husband and I. There were moments when I didn't think we were going to make it because of my And his stance was like, we have two, we're good. He always told me, so he's five years older than me. So he is now 46. And he said, you can have as many kids as you want until age 40. So because his father was older and he felt like he he didn't want to be an old dad. Until he reached age 40 or you reached age 40? Until he reached age 40. It wasn't wasn't about me. It was about him and his (laughs) like. So keep in mind, I have a one-year-old now. 
But, um, <laughs> but he just like has this thing and he didn't want to be an old dad. So I had extra embryos in Israel and I was leaving my two kids under the age of two for several years, going back and forth by myself. I didn't need my husband at this point to do, to use all the remainder of the embryos. And we had always put it, it's a little different. It was a little different at the time in Israel. I was putting in two or three at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, First of all, I didn't know anything about any risks. I mean, I just kind of was trusting my doctor who gave me two kids and I just did it. My, my embryos were never tested. Again, that's something maybe, you know, 10, 11 years ago, it was just not done as much. But um, anyway, so I was not getting pregnant. And we said always that we only wanted to do one egg retrieval. Like we always just felt like that was for our family. And even before we knew we had problems, we always said we wanted to adopt. And that that we always wanted four kids, we always wanted to adopt, um, and that would be part of our family. So of course, I was devastated that it wasn't working. And it was like emotionally draining going back and forth to Israel. And at this time, I wasn't able to utilize my socialized medicine benefits. So I was paying again. So even it was still significantly cheaper to do a frozen embryo transfer in Israel than um, doing it in America. And first of all, I would have had to bring my embryos, ship my embryos, which is possible, but expensive. Um, So anyway, it wasn't working. And then we said, okay, now's the time to look into adoption. But this whole time, my husband's like, okay, but keep in mind, we have two kids, like, and he's like, and my um, clock is ticking on the 40-year mark, right? Yeah. I mean, he might have already given me like another year. You, it was like a negotiation. Like, can we get a dog? It was, can we get a dog? Or I'm like, no, no, no. Not until the third kid. Like, it was just always a negotiation. Therapists involved. But I just like never, um, I always stood my ground. And he loves me. So he would continue to like do what he, do, do what he needed for me, even though he didn't really think it was the best decision. So we went through, we're in Georgia and we went through, um, and we're modern Orthodox. So we don't drive or anything on Friday night to Saturday. And when we started looking into the, we knew we couldn't afford um, straight up adoption agency costs. So we were looking into foster care system. And my husband this time convinced me that we could get two older sibling units And that would complete our family. And for about a year and a half, we did private, again, we're paying, we did private foster care training because we couldn't do the, the, like the lessons or whatever on Saturdays. So we went through that for a year and a half, finally got our certification. And then there was this moment where I was just, I wanted to be the person where he is, which is like just a better person than me. He wanted to help kids who didn't have a home. And I admire that. But what I learned about myself, again, therapists involved, was that I just wanted a baby to make my own. And again, I remember going to his office in the middle of the day, pulling him out of a meeting, crying to him in the hallway and saying, I just want a baby. Like, I'm not, I don't want an older kid unit at this moment. Like, I'm not that special. I can't handle that. And I think the tears sometimes get him and he's like, fine. And he always gives me deadlines. I'm going to be this age. You have six months to go find a baby. <laughs> and I mean, I, we, we sound crazy, but that's kind of like the way we talk to each other. And um, ultimately, I couldn't find a baby. And I 
well, I guess we'll get into it, but I run an organization, Jewish Fertility Foundation, and I'm like, if anybody can find a baby, I can. And it did not go as planned. I mean, I had intended birth parents reaching out to me and they're like, do you have horses and acreage? Oh, wow. Oh, I don't. Wow. A lot of my standards. (laughs) We're in Georgia. So I guess it's not crazy, but it seemed kind of crazy. And they're like, we're also like my kids' names are very Jewish Israeli names. And they are like, well, we need him in a good Christian home. Okay, well, that's not the case. Or I had several people reach out to me and say, well, you have two biological kids. You're not going to love my kid as much. And I'm like, that is so far from the truth. Anyway, it's so hurtful and just like not true. Like if you knew what I was going through to try to get this baby, like, oh, anyway, um, my, my board chair and my friend Lynn, who's a reproductive attorney, an adoption attorney always was talking to me about embryo donation and the fact that like I can control a pregnancy if I receive a donated embryo. And I was like, no, I don't need to be pregnant again, like for, for years. And she's like, well, just think about it. Just think about it. Just think about it. And did you, did you like pregnancy? Was that something? I loved being pregnant. Yeah. But I just felt like I had my chance. Like now I really did want to be able to help a family who couldn't raise their child, but there was like a three-year waiting list for the foster care system in Georgia. And then like, I couldn't find a baby and I couldn't pay an agency. So I was like stuck. Yeah. Um, but ultimately I was able to receive a donated embryo from so some what, Yeah. What made you change your mind when, after talking to Lynn? So honestly, it was during all the like rejection, rejection, rejection from, I just didn't think I was going to find a baby. And I, I wasn't doing it for so many years like people do, but I just kept on getting rejected. You know, my clock was ticking for my husband and me. And your husband had you in a deadline. <laughs> well, keep in mind, he was probably already 44 by this time. So the deadline <laughs> continues to pass. And, um, and I just knew like my time. And also I was like, and I was going to become 40. Like it was just, and my kids were, my bio kids were getting older and I knew I needed to do something. So Somebody reached out to me who I had helped previously in my organization. And people do this a lot. Like we have extra embryos. We'd like to donate them. Can you help us find a family? And honestly, mm-hmm. I was trying to find this woman a family or this this family a family for several months. And yeah. they wanted an open um, relationship, which for us was fine. But like I wasn't thinking about me. And um one day I was reading People Magazine and I don't know, somebody did it in People Magazine and I was like, huh. Oh, do you remember who? Is famous? I don't, I don't remember who. I don't remember. But like, I had never really read about it anywhere other than Lynn telling me over and over, like, you want to consider this. But sometimes you just need it from like, I don't know. People Magazine and not an attorney that exactly. you know. Exactly. This is where my reading source comes from and my knowledge comes from. <laughs> um, and honestly, it was on Shabbat on Saturday. So I wasn't using the phone. And I went to my husband and I was like, what do you think about this? And he, his answer is always like, what's it going to cost? Like mm. he was doing anything for me, right? <laughs> but it came down to like how expensive is you know, is it? And it's significantly less expensive than adoption. In total, for me, it was about $10,000. Um, 
And he's like, fine. You know, again, his clock is ticking. He's like, fine, just take care of it. It's fine with me. And I called (laughs) this family, like I remember after Shabbat and we're both like done, done. And it did, it was a long, hard process to get embryos into my clinic in Atlanta from where they were in a different state in America. But ultimately now I have a one-year-old and I mean, there are no words to describe how grateful I am that I fought this for five years. Not only my husband, just, I don't know, like people's judgments in general. And ultimately my husband loves this kid so much. And I knew he would, it wasn't really about love. It was about like the timeline and the money and all the other stuff. But I mean, I'm so glad I fought for this kid more than anything. So that's kind of a long version of my story. That's incredible. So talk about the difference in, if you don't mind, yeah. about care between the the care and the access and how things worked in Israel. I know you alluded to some of it, just yeah. you know, the cost and things like that between there and in the United States. Sure. I mean, and I've done both. So I've done it now. So when I did the frozen embryo transfer for my third son, he was, he was produced or created in a fertility clinic in America. So I have that experience as well. I mean, in Israel, listen, like you're like in any um, clinic you go to or any doctor's office you go to in Israel, you have like five minutes with the doctor because the way that you keep costs mm-hmm. down, you know, and I don't know if this is like that in London or in England and Canada, right. but in Israel, like you wait and there's no like receptionist waiting for you. You know, everything is done electronically now. Um, You like wait in a hallway and, you know, the doctor comes out and gets you um, and he sits behind a computer and types away asking you questions for five minutes. You barely have time to breathe, Um, especially trying to navigate the Hebrew English was always like interesting for me. Um, And then like even funny things like, Okay, so he's typing everything up like a receptionist or a secretary might do or even like a nurse in America. And then he's like, okay, go into my room, take off your clothes, and we're going to do a test. And like, it's not like in America, they, they're they concerned about privacy or they give you space or time. I mean, like, he's like, get undressed and staring at me. And like, my husband's there. It's just like the whole thing is so quick to the point and direct also, which, which I, I came to appreciate. There was no like BSing. Um, and I don't know, I had like 10 minutes with him and we had to get all our questions in. On the other hand, he gave me his cell phone. If I had any follow-up questions, I could text him and call him at any time. And did you so use it? Like, did you try All the it? time. Oh, oh my wow. God. As a neurotic, like <laughs> almost pregnant woman. Yeah. Like, of course, during the two week wait, during everything. I mean, all throughout my pregnancy, I used him because he was also my gynecologist. So Got it's it. like... Yeah. I mean, he did everything but deliver the kids because they, you just go to a hospital and have a midwife deliver your kids. That's a whole nother experience. But um, yeah, I mean, it's like, there isn't the, like, and then I remember in America, you know, we sit down with a doctor for an hour in his personal office and we talk about all sorts of things and make jokes. And that isn't the, even the appointment, that's just the preliminary. And then I sit down with the finance office and then I sit down with like Mm -hmm. the team of nurses. And then I have a hard time contacting the doctor afterwards. And, you know, I have questions, but I don't know how to get in touch with the office. And then it's just a whole very different experience. Yeah. Um, 
And if I had to do it again, like I prefer the Israeli experience, not only because of the cost, but it's just, it seemed much, ultimately much more direct and quicker. Yeah, I, I've lived in both Germany and in England. And so I've experienced their care as well. And it is fascinating that both those countries also very direct with their care. And I, I don't know, I found even like simple things. My daughter was hospitalized when we lived in Germany and the nurses are not allowed to speak to you at all. Every time I would ask them a question, they would be like, you have to wait for the doctor. And, and so it was a very, like, as opposed to in, the, in America, you're used to like, the nurses are your filter of all information. And so it was structurally very different for me. And I also had the language issue on that one, but at least in England, I didn't have the language barrier. <laughs> so. But even things like later on, once I was pregnant, you know, when I was doing my um, prenatal care or pre, I guess, is that what it's called? Prenatal care after you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. But like you do the P test and you do the blood work. Like I did it. Like it's like I did go to a nurse to manage it, but like she'd give me a cup. She'd give me the tester. Like I had to do all of that. It's oh, not like, she gave like, you the tester. Pee. Yeah. Wow. Like I do it. And then all I do is I bring back the tester. Do you know what I mean? Wow. And then but it's like, that's what America, or I don't know, that I can see why things cost more money when I'm competent to do certain things, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can weigh myself and then tell her how much I weigh, like certain right. things like that. Yeah. Right. Although I mean, as I Americans, we probably, report that. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, oh, I, we probably I, all I lie. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> Uh, so I want to hear how you were inspired or what um, started, how you decided to start the organization. Yeah, sure. So basically, um, as I said, I came back to America and I had two kids, under, like little kids. And honestly, you're like, I have so much free time. What should I do with it? <laughs> well, no, it wasn't like that. It was more like it was I was really learning. Like I remember sitting, I was at a JCC baby pool And I was sitting among some friends and then some people I had just met. And we all had our babies in, you know, the pea-filled pool. And we started talking about our own infertility journeys, literally. And it got into a conversation, like a funny conversation, like my babies cost $80,000. My baby cost, you know, only $15,000. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, my babies cost me $200. And I was was somebody who was like, but we all shared the like, hardship with our spouses and the just like how do you talk about it with your family and the emotional roller coaster that anybody who has gone through this gets um so we all had that in common and i was like oh my god and i was learning about the prices in america cuz i was like you know even though i'm american when i lived here i wasn't dealing with all of you know the crazy expensive mm-hmm. fertility costs and my background now for the past 20 years is in the nonprofit sector in fundraising anything nonprofit. I've had some really great experiences. And I always dreamed of essentially running my own foundation um, with something that I was passionate about, not, I guess, somebody else's cause. And that's not what I was thinking when I started this, but I was I was really concerned with the cost. And oh my God, how is it fair that people want to start their families, but they cannot afford it? And, it, and I really started, I guess it was May of 2015, and I started speaking to anybody who was listening to me. And I would not not take a meeting. And I would not shut up about it, basically. Mm. And so since that time, I was able to get a really great group of people together, starting in Atlanta. And 
we learned that money is really, really important to give out uh, to help people grow their families, but emotional support and financial and uh, educational awareness is honestly just as important. Um, and so in 2015, we started Jewish Fertility Foundation. And today we have three main functions, which is giving out IVF grants and IUI grants. We also offer support groups, uh, traditional support groups run by infertility therapists, as well as our premier program, which is our Fertility Buddies program, which is where we match people up who have experienced infertility. We call them veterans with people going through it today. And um, people love that because it's an opportunity for the veterans to kind of heal and um, relive their experience. But now it's not about them. It's about using what they remember and know to help somebody else. Um, And we teach them all about boundaries and listening skills. And it's a real commitment. It's about a year commitment um, run by our social workers And then the last piece of what we do are educational trainings with the medical community, mostly fertility clinics, around special needs of Jewish clients. So one might not know this, but in the more observant community, even things like sperm collection are done a little bit differently Um, or learning about. I won't get into the details, but like, family. oh, no, no, no. We want we to like, details we like now. Details. We definitely Sorry. are curious about the details. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, teaching our doctors and nurses and admin at fertility clinics about things that are, are relevant to the observant community. So we're talking mostly the Orthodox community. I don't know if you know this, but basically men and women who observe family purity, like they don't touch their partners for two weeks out of the month. And when you're trying to have a baby, a lot of a lot of that sometimes is really hard. So like, let's say that you even need to have time sex. Well, that could be very complicated if you're considered um, at a time where you cannot touch your partner, your mm-hmm. husband. Yeah. So, and we even go after two weeks. So you have your period and then there are certain clean days and you have to immerse in a body of water to make yourself pure. So like if your fertility treatments are occurring during this time, certain things, even like a a visit to the doctor where you end up bleeding, you might or might not need to know, is that uterine blood or is that some other source of blood? I'm not, again, I'm not like a rabbi, so I'm not going to go into all the details, but these are real conversations that we want to make sure are doctors understand like, or even a simple case, like in, in more observant Jewish circles, you, a man is not going to necessarily touch a woman. So if a woman doctor is reaching out her hand to a man, um, right before he's about, they're about to collect like a semen analysis, which is so like already awkward, you know, and then he's like, sorry, I can't touch your hand. We just want to make them aware of these things because it's the whole situation is awkward. But if you don't know certain cultural traditions, um, the whole experience is going to be even more awkward. Um, So it's like a cultural competency training. And then for us, it just really is an opportunity to share what we're doing and make sure our connections are strong with the fertility clinics. But like the questions we get from an audience that might not know about Jewish people in general, they have been enlightening and awesome. Um, And some of them are like, So let's say you're an interfaith couple and you have a, 
I don't know, like a sexual um, disease and you're not allowed to wear condoms because you are observant, you know, what do you do? And, and actually Lynn Goldman and I were in at trying to field one of those questions. Yeah. Like, that is very specific. And we don't have an answer. <laughs> Asking for a friend. Yeah. We're, we're like, that is very specific. Like, first of all, you're not going to be in an interfaith relationship if you're an Orthodox Jew. Second right. of all, okay, you can't wear a condom. That's true. That's not allowed or permissible. I don't know. Just lots of different things. But it, but it really engages lots of dialogue and conversation about something very specific to our cause. Um, and then we do a like typical, I get not typical, but other trainings for loved ones of family and friends who are going through infertility and then pathways to parenthood. If you want a child, what are different, you know, paths you can take, maybe surrogacy adoption, IVF, IUI, you know, gamete or egg or sperm donation, embryo donation. We do trainings like that. And, and is, nowadays is, also, sorry, go on. Oh, is conversion a big topic? Like, did you convert your child after going through an embryo donation? That's a very good question. Um, it's not a big topic because I try to steer away from, like, we're not a religious organization. We serve any type of Jewish person. But for personally, it was an issue. And again, you can learn more about my husband's, um, what's the word? Like, impatience. Because we had <laughs> so hard to get this embryo. And we also knew that the sperm was not Jewish and the, and the egg was of Jewish lineage. And it is it was important in our case because otherwise we would have actually had to convert the baby. And originally I was told I did have to convert the baby. And my personality is like, okay, no problem. We'll just dunk the baby in the body of water called the mikvah. Like I didn't think it was a big deal. And my husband is like, hell no. Like, we know where this baby is coming from. We know the lineage. And also the donor was like, hell no. Like, I'm Jewish. Like, you do not. And, the, and in Judaism, the, um, it, it's traced through, through the mother. So it's matrilineal descent uh, decides how your kid is Jewish. And so ultimately, we went back to the rabbi with a letter from the donor's rabbi. And we're like, no, this embryo is Jewish. And then it became accepted. So like if I wasn't going to fight it and my husband wasn't there, like we probably would have ended up dunking, but it becomes really personal. There was a case I wrote on in Israel where there was a dispute of where um, a couple used a Jewish egg donor, but it wasn't sufficient because anonymous, like it wasn't sufficient for the rabbinical courts and it was a little confusing, but there was a difference too between converting versus being considered Jewish at birth. And that was one of the issues there. Well, I asked my rabbi, I'm like, well, is let's say my kid wants to be like an ultra-Orthodox Jewish person living in Israel. Am I going to have any problems with your decree? Yeah. And he's like, he had to look it up. He had to speak with additional rabbis and gather information by himself. Also himself. All of this is so new, mm. you know, and ultimately it was a, it was fine. And I wanted to make sure that was important to me. I wanted to make sure it was fine. But it was like, again, another contentious like moment in throughout all this like there's so many there's just so much that's not like stated or known yet and then also like with you know nothing's anonymous anymore really so right like where does that play out into all of this (laughs) um yeah so I do think the cost issue is such a big one and I would love for you to talk more about how your grant programs work I think people would love to hear 
um, how they might be able to apply or otherwise. Sure. So right now, so we're very much a community-based organization. So our Jewish Fertility Foundation offices are centered around a city. So right now we have two offices, one in Atlanta and one in Cincinnati, Ohio. And our goal in the next five years is to have 15 more cities, um, perhaps in a location near you. So while we're building that up, we have opened up our Atlanta offices and the clinics that we work with to you. So if it makes sense, we invite you to come to our Atlanta offices to apply for a grant and to utilize our programs. Otherwise, unfortunately, it might not be relevant. Um, And all of this can be found on our jewishfertilityfoundation.org website. But ultimately, we offer grants of $1,000 to $15,000, depending on the location. In Cincinnati, it's up to $7,500 right now. Plus, if you do receive a grant from us, you're eligible for a 20% discounted rate for your treatment at the clinic. So again, it's not just the amount of the grant. It's also a 20% off discount for the treatment. And then the third thing that we offer are Hebrew-free loans. So again, you know, some of your clinics might have um, loan options with very high interest rates. We partner up with local Jewish Hebrew-free loans, and that means literally that you do not have to pay interest. So we offer in Atlanta up to $7,500, and then in Cincinnati up to $5,000. So really, you can leave our offices with a significant chunk of change um, to help you in your fertility journey. Also, we do, I mean, there's everything, all the Q&As are listed on our website, but one thing that we do offer is we work around secondary infertility too. So we understand that you can already have had a child in any way, um, but we do support that second child as well. I love that. Yeah. And there's, I know you guys have a big education piece as well. What's the easiest way for people to connect there and see what you have going on? So social media is amazing. We are, we're Instagram and Facebook friendly, uh, Jewish Fertility Foundation. You can find us also on our website. I, I, mean, I, I will say yeah. I thought you guys were super hip with your Instagram live recently with one of your talks. I was like, oh, Instagram live. They're like young Yeah. And cool. So so COVID has been a very interesting time for us. Our, <laughs> as horrible as it is, our business has taken off. I think like we're, our programming um, response is like up 200%. Our support groups are up 300%. I mean, we've, like you said, like we've kind of been able to offer more of our educational pieces to many more people now that we're, everything is virtual right now, even our support groups. So we have honestly, I'm like on once a week, um, with really amazing speakers around all different topics, whether it's legal, whether it's surrogacy, whether it's um, with our doctors or therapists, a huge topic are donor conceived people and children. Mm-hmm. And we're kind we're kind of just trying to show you what what are all the considerations. I mean, people in trying to build their families are thinking about so many things. And we really just want to bring you information and content. I mean, we're doing one um, with men, um, which is something that like our services are also offered open to men, but you know, in general, the women are the ones who really take advantage, but we have two men talking about, um, male infertility and the impact on the family. And that's something that I really have not heard a lot. 
Um, yeah, we love working with like JScreen. Um, they're a big partner of ours. Do you guys know about JScreen? No. Tell us about so, it. Sure. So JScreen is a uh, genetic screening for the Jewish community. And we they're also they also started in Atlanta and now they're national. And basically it is a subsidized um, genetic screening program for the Jewish community, meaning that when you go to your doctor, you're only being screened for X amount of Jewish genetic diseases. Now I think they're up to like, I'm kind of making up the number, but like 250 diseases. Mm. And if you become a grant and it's subsidized, so you're paying like 200 something dollars for these amazing panels. And it comes along with a genetic counselor. And also we give all of our, we, we make our grantees do it, but we don't make them do it uh, with a cost. We get, we give them the, the genetic screening for free. So we just want to not only bring babies into the world, but make sure we're bringing healthy babies into the world. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. How else can anyone connect or support the organization? Anything else we need to, to get out there? Well, um, we're about, you know, COVID has been a weird time for us. We work on donations. So the more funds that we're able to raise, the more babies we're able to make and the more families we're able to help. So that's always something that I do share. Um, And, you know, to contact us, I'm happy to give out my email, but everything is on our website, jewishfertilityfoundation.org. And then mine is Elana, E-L-A-N-A at jewishfertilityfoundation.org. And we'll link to it in the description as well so everyone can go to the website if they need to to pull those links. Um, This has been amazing. I really appreciate you taking the time to to share your story and everything that Jewish Fertility Foundation is doing to help others. I think it's incredible and we really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you for doing this. Thank you, Ilana, for coming on and sharing so much. Um, I will admit that I um, had to remember my Instagram password to go to one of the <laughs> live sessions they had recently to, to listen. So many um, great talks they've been having and such a great resource. So I, I really appreciate it. And if you're not on Instagram, go ahead and join so you can come to these these excellent talks. Awesome. I love it. And I have very uh, Instagram friends, followers. I don't even know the right word, but um, but feel free to friend slash follow me. Oh, I should do that. I don't know. I know nothing about Instagram. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm lost on the tech part. It's so, embarrassing. But, but I do know enough that I know that it's important that people leave us iTunes reviews. <laughs> and I have left iTunes reviews for play, other places. So it, it is super important. Even if you just like click the, the stars and let Ooh, people yeah. know how you feel about us, that's pretty awesome. So a uh, huge thank you to everybody who has reviewed us in the past and to everybody who will review us in the future. Um, and of course, as always, to our team that makes us look and sound great, to Amanda, to Tyler, to Chris at Work at Bird Studios. And most of all, thanks to you who come and listen with us every week. So thank you so much. 